Um, hi everybody and welcome to my first ever podcast. I feel like this is either going to sound like a total jumble of stories put together or it'll sound proper articulate. I don't know, but you lot can decide about this. Um, anyways, moving on. I wanted to make this podcast because I have too much knowledge about New Labour and Britain in the 90s to the 2000s. Actually, wait, Britain in the 80s to the 2000s and into the 2010s. And I just needed to dump all of this somewhere, so I just thought, why not make a podcast? Anyways, um, moving on. This podcast isn't just a one-off episode. I'm intending to do at least five-ish episodes, each tackling different decades and specifically important years in New Labour's history and the context of Britain at the time. And also context of the world at the time, like I'll look into Bill Clinton and third-way politics over in America at the time during the 90s and also the link between Thatcher and Reagan during the 80s and the grip they had on the world with their new right and neoliberal policies. Um, this first episode of this of my crap podcast will focus on the origin stories of the architects of New Labour, Tony Blair, Gordon Brown, Peter Mandelson and Alistair Campbell. I might also take a look at some other key New Labour figures such as John Prescott, Margaret Beckett, Ed Balls, Ed Miliband, Charlie Whelan, etc. I don't know if I'll do this in this episode or as an episode in the future. I'll be starting out with the two bickering bastards of New Labour first, Tony and Gordon. While both were elected, were both were elected as MPs in the 1983 election, Tony had lost out on becoming an MP a year prior in 1982 during the Beaconsfield by-election. He fucked this up though, because if you're a Labour candidate, you're obviously not going to win in Beaconsfield because it's Tory central. These thoughts are echoed in Michael Sheen's portrayal of Blair in the 2003 TV film The Deal. I might later on I might go off on a tangent about this film because it's actually quite good for it being a TV film made in the early 2000s but I digress. Tony Michael Sheen's portrayal of Tony Blair says in the film about the Beaconsfield by-election is that any Labour candidate would get hammered at Beaconsfield. Anyways, a year later Blair was chosen to run as MP for Sedgefield. His wife Cherie Blair ran for MP in 1982 in North Thanet. The, creation, the year of the creation of the constituency itself. Shree also lost, even though she utilised her fame of her dad, actor Tony Booth, who was also respected by the leftist community. She still failed to win over the constituency, and lo- and the Tories took over because it seemed Kent and Kent's a Tory wonderland, aka full of cunts, and still held the seat to this very day. Tony, however, was success- successful in Sedgefield, and, was- and he was elected. When he first came into the Commons, he first shared an office with Dave Nellis, MP for Coventry South East. Nellis is a known Trotskyist and butted heads of Blair over, over ideology differences. Because of this, Blair was shifted to share an office with Gordon Brown. Gordon Brown was MP for Dunfermline East and, like Blair, was elected in 1983. But in 1979, he stood for election in the Edinburgh South constituency, but, lost, but narrowly lost out to the Tories. Brown's campaign leaflets in the 1979 election are quite funny, to be honest. I'll post them on my MP John Major Insta later today, I promise, babes. <laughs> Gordon should have kept his 1979 hair. His long hair was class. Okay, okay, moving on. I can't find any evidence of Gordon's campaign in the 83 election, and I'm proper upset over this. I've watched the entirety of the 1983 election one night when I was pissed, and I'm now trying to remember if I saw either Gordon or Tony winning their seats. I'll have a rewatch. I'll move back on to te- on talking about Gordon in a minute, but I just briefly want to speak about the 93 ele- 1983 election. Yes, it was a total disaster for Labour, but it's interesting to watch due to the fact that both Neil Kinnock and Michael Heseltine were panellists on the BBC coverage of the election, which is kind of crazy to see a future Labour leader and the man responsible for Thatcher's downfall on the same panel of the election where Thatcher totally destroyed Labour. Also, going back and re-watching 
and and rewatching the eighty three election makes me giggle because Norman Tebbit looks like a corpse propped up in a corset. He looks like Prince Philip. He literally does though. I don't get it. I don't get how most of the Tories in Thatcher's cabinet look like corpses. Like, was it just a thing that she did to them? She just managed to turn these Tories into corpses, or do Tories just look like look like corpses anyway? It's a mystery we'll never understand. Anyways, at two hours at four minutes and sixteen seconds on the nineteen three election part one, you, on YouTube you can see Fanet North being declared as a Conservative hold, the seat Cherie stood for, and at three and three hours twenty three oh one you can see Blair's Sedgefield win. I can't find Gordon's win, but I'm sure it's there. I try. I literally. I went back. I rewatched it, and I was like, right, skipping through it. And I found my constituency, and I found um, my nan's constituency, and I saw um, the Corbyn win Islington North, which is quite interesting. And Ben Tony Blair, Ben lose his seat, and also Hillary Ben lose his seat. But um, I couldn't find Gordon's. I found Dunfermline West. They were Conservative, but I couldn't find Dunfermline East. I think maybe I was going too fast and skipping, but I don't know, I can't find it. But it is there, because, like, obviously he won, but I can't even find anything from his campaign or anything like that. I can find Blair's stuff, because but you can't find anything for Gordon's stuff, because it's just not there. I think he must have had it wiped from the internet. He's probably just deathly embarrassed over it. He's probably like, for fuck's sake, get that off the internet. But his 1979 stuff's still up, and that's just terrible. Like, his hair was like... It was like a mullet, but also not a mullet, kind of like... But very 70s kind of like david Steele's hair but a bit longer i don't know i don't know <laughs> i am reading off a script by the way and i wrote it and it's a bit shit but i'm kind of i don't know because i'm trying to like piece together things it's hard because like even though i write essays for my a-levels <laughs> i'm fucking shit at this <laughs> anyway anyway i digress back to gordon gordon had much more experience than below and became a sort of mentor in a way now, I am going to let my personal view show here, and I'm going to honestly say this with sincere honesty. Tony Blair was a cunt back in 83 and has maintained this to this day. Tony Blair is a cunt, and I'm not going to, like, go, like, oh, well, like, actually, he won. He won the Labour Labour side in 1997. That doesn't make him a cunt. No, that makes him more of a cunt. He was like, look at me. I won a Labour landslide, and uh, therefore I'm better than everybody else in the world. It's like, shut the fuck up, Tony. Shut the fuck up. You only won that because you sucked off the middle classes and you were like, guys, vote for me, I'm middle class just like you. I think the 2D TV sketch where it talks about, um, where it's like Blair, he's being prepped for an interview and they're all like, and he's like managing to fit into every single scenario the interviewer gives him. I mean, that's just perfect because he is, he is a chameleon, he is able to do that kind of shit. But he still managed to also blow up a rack, so there's that. For a, for a start. Anyways, back on to Gordon. Back for... We, we, we interrupt our Tony Blair bashing to talk more about Gordon. Praise King Gordon. <laughs> I have such a personal bias towards him. I don't know why. I think it's just because I think I see him as a really genuine man who really cares about stuff. Like, he really cares about the people of England and obviously he really cares about the NHS because of what happened with his eye when he was younger when he his sight was narrowly saved because he detached um three retinas in his left eye i think it was three retinas um i'm just i'm, I'm jumbling i'm mumbling now but uh, i'm rambling i mean fucking hell 
<laughs> but um, yeah, like I think he just seems like, and he he really speaks his mind, and he's a good he's a good orator. Blair just sort of he sort of mumbles everything, and he's sort of he's sort of quite like sort of quite high pitched and just very sort of like a rat. Very I don't know. I understand why people didn't trust him. My mate, my friend who um runs the who's a big fan of James Callahan. Uh, was saying we were talking in our group chat the other day, talking in our Discord server the other day about um, who we'd vote for in each election, and he said he wouldn't vote for Blair in 1997 because he said he wouldn't trust him. Which we were like, you would trust him at the time. You, you with hindsight, you obviously wouldn't trust him because like he fucking blew up Iraq and other shit. But you trust him in 1997 because it's like a breath of fresh air. He said he'd vote um, Lib Dems in 1997, which is like, why the fuck would you vote for Paddy Pants down? I'm not disrespecting your views, babe. If you ever what, if you ever listen to this, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know about that one, babe. Anyways, talking about um, the libs, the lib, the lib dems. Um, <laughs> fuck me, what a fucking disastrous party. The lib dems are fucking Jesus. Like the SDP, I mean, they were like, yeah, we're gonna do a breath of fresh air, um, nine eighty one, and then only a few of them get re-elected i mean shirley williams who was in the gang of four she get she didn't get re-elected in 1983 which is like she got beaten by the tories but i think pretty much nearly a lot of people that got beaten by the tories that weren't expected to be beat by the tories like tony ben tony ben wasn't expected to be like which is quite mad really if you think about it because you'd think that like a like a political like a dominant political figure like tony ben would get back in but obviously not because the 1983 election was such a fuck up for Labour because of um Michael Foote and the uh longest suicide note in history. Now talking about the nineteen eighty three manifesto, it is with because I'm a leftist, how can you fucking tell? <laughs> I think the nineteen eighty three election sorry, the Labour manifesto for nineteen eighty three did actually have quite some good points towards it. Like I to like I totally agree with complete nuclear dis- disarmament but people at the time obviously didn't because we were still in the midst of the cold war yeah as i was saying before i had to cut it um we were in the midst of the cold war and the falklands war just happened in the year prior and other stuff as well been going on around the world that we still felt that we needed nuclear weapons which obviously we don't because if everyone got rid of nuclear weapons then there wouldn't be a fucking need for them but people obviously voters obviously thought that's just completely shocking to get rid of them what will protect us but we don't need them to protect us <laughs> and obviously the whole the whole thing about the um house of lords as well that like where he won where, what was it i think it was something like um he wanted to um get rid of the house of lords or just completely make it like electable or something hold on um yes give me a second <laughs> I'm not googling it. I'm to- I just I remember this from my memory. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to find it. Yeah, here we go. Um, so you wanted ab- yeah abolition of the House of Lords, renationalisation of recently privatised industries such as British Aerospace, higher personal taxation for the rich, and withdrawal from the EEC. Now, as a leftist, this is incredibly based. Like, okay, I kind of like being in the EU because. It was just easier than not being in the EU. Like, for fuck's sake, Brexit, fucking hell. But nationalisation, yes, good. 
I love na- nationalisation. Still haven't forgiven Mr John Major for fucking privatising the fucking trains because now it costs fucking bank if you want to get a train and you have to be waiting around for ages because half the time they get delayed because the, the workers have gone on strike and the workers went on strike because of the privatisation. So thank you very much, Mr Major. Anyways, higher personal taxation for the rich. Brilliant. Rich needs to be taxed. Why are you taxing people that aren't rich? Like, they've got all the fucking money. Tax them. We need... Taxes are good most of the time. They're going towards building schools and helping hospitals and shit. Tax the fucking rich. Tax them higher. It's more important. It gets... Because then it takes money from them that they don't really exactly use nor need. And it puts it into funding for schools and hospitals and other things that we need in the UK. Anyways, abolition of the House of Lords. Yeah, abolition of the House of Lords. Like, it's a hard one. I don't, I, I don't agree with the amount of hereditary peers that were in the House of Lords at the time, which I can understand why Foot wanted to abolish it because of the amount of fucking hereditary peers in the House of Lords and the fact that PMs can just fill the House of Lords with people that they want through the use of life peers. Like, fucking, I mean, like, Thatcher was in the House of Lords, like, bloody hell, like, Thatcher, fucking hell, she just can't leave us alone, can she? Well, she's dead now. She has left us alone. She's fucking dead. She's six feet under. Fuck me. (laughs) Um, Anyways, back on to um, the abolition of the House of Lords. House of Lords are kind of good because they do give, like, a second sort of, like, look, second out, 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 out input fuck me i need to i can't edit i'm just gonna fucking do this as it is it's my first podcast leave me be anyways they give a they give a second input onto bills and legislation which is good because you could fuck in some shit you could do you could pass a fucking bill that'd be like could be house cons could be like yeah bring back the death penalty and the households would be like um hold on what we don't want that what the fuck so I could, that's why the House of Lords is good. But then again, it was also bad because of hereditary peers, people that, like, are only in there because their fucking great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was in it and all their other relatives have been in it ever since. I mean, yeah, that's why it's bad. But there's less hereditary peers in there now. But I think a house, another House of Lords form could be done to get rid of hereditary peers and... Are the river peers is oh fuck me I I haven't done any fucking House of Lords revision, um, I have to do it for my A level exam and it's in the Parliament topic, and it is the worst topic besides electoral system electoral systems is like the worst one because it's like I don't fucking care about the fucking the ones I use the um the electoral system they use in the Scottish in the Scottish council elections like ooh I don't care I don't fucking care how many votes there are anyway hold on hold on how many fucking so you've got right Wikipedia's not telling me see all I know is that you've got life peers and you've got hereditary peers lord spiritual lord spiritual get them out fuck them why are you why are you as a bishop in the house of lords what have you done to get in there absolutely pish all get the fuck out of here bitch <laughs> um i mean like new labor wanted to get rid of the hereditary period they only got rid of but they only kept but they kept 92 like tony either get rid of them all or don't get rid of any of them 
Just it's fucking commit to your manifesto prom- promises, babe. Do it, babe. It's not that hard. I could do it. Fuck me. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't find anything. Oh, yeah. No, I can't find anything. And I don't care. Anyways, I've completely strain... Fuck me. Strewn? Strain, 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 strain. <laughs> oh, it says Lord's Temporal. Oh, that's Hereditary Peers and Life Peers. Cash for Peerages. Naughty, naughty. Um, yeah, I don't... Sometimes I don't agree with Life Peers because it literally allowed for Peter Mandelson to become a Lord. And I fucking hate Peter Mandelson, but I will I will get on to the Mandelson bashing in the Mandelson segment of this. Uh, <laughs> I fucking hate Peter Mandelson. Anyways, back on to Gordon. Um, when Gordon was elected as MP, and when he became um, when he shared when he shared an office with Blair during the 80, during eighty three, uh, start. Oh fuck. <laughs> when he shared an office with Blair during eighty three, up to. I actually don't know. I think it was sometime before the 90s because I know that he became Shadow Chancellor after when Smith became leader, but... And he was... Yeah, actually, I think it was up until the late 80s, early... Late 80s when they stopped sharing an office. But they shared an office for a really long time. I think it was just after the 87 election when they stopped sharing. But when they shared an office, which literally was, like, the fucking tiniest office in the world, it was, like, two desks and there was no window just that two desks and then like a, a, a sofa that was it size of my room probably my room is tiny um and obviously this is how they became friends and they made new labor because they realized they had a lot in common but as i was saying brown was sort of a mentor towards blair because of the fact that brown had obviously he was two years older and he'd had a bit more experience. I mean, he was chair of the devolution committee in Scotland. He'd ran for election previously in 1979. And he'd also written books. He'd written a book on Scottish devolution. And he'd also written a book on Maxton, which was a, which he did for his doctorate at Edinburgh Uni, where he, where he went when he was 16, which is, like, mental. And he was also rector of Edinburgh Uni. So Blair sort of could have, Blair sort of did look up to him because, like, Blair obviously never met anyone like Gordon before. But but I'm not saying that Blair didn't have experience before becoming an MP. I mean, he was obviously a lawyer, of quite, quite a good lawyer as well. And he'd been to Oxford, but he just didn't really seem to have politics in mind when he was at Oxford. He wanted to be in a band. He was in a band, a really shit band called Ugly Rumours. And he was a fucking Trotskyist until he met Cherie. And Cherie was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You need to stop that. And then he became neoliberal Blair. (laughs) But I'm just saying the fact that even though he, Blair obviously stood, like ran in the Beaconsfield by-election in 1982, which was, he also met Michael Foote during this, he still didn't really have much experience I don't think much political experience in comparison to Gordon because Gordon had obviously studied politics for his life he he was like he he also lectured at the Open University and he also I think he also wrote articles about politics in I can't remember what newspaper it was I think it might have been the Independent I'm not entirely sure though I'd have to have a look 
um but I'm back from my research but he also he was a journalist um at Scottish at Scottish television and then he was current affairs editor up until 83 when he was elected to parliament so he did that after he lost in the 1979 general election and yeah and it was actually the Glasgow College of Technology that he he also was a lecturer but he was also a tutor for the Open University I got mixed up anyways so back on to Gordon and Gordon and Tony I I can't be, I still find it strange that Tony went on to become leader of the Labour Party in 1994 instead of Gordon I mean obviously like Blair was seen as like the perfect middleman because he fucking appealed to oh the fucking the fucking middle Mondeo man middle England bullshit fuck you Blair um, but it is kind of hard to believe if you look at Gordon's experience and the fact that Blair looked up to him a lot in the early days. Um, but I digress. Brown was obviously, he was, he wasn't seen as a family man because he didn't have a girlfriend. Well, he did, a, he, he did have a girlfriend actually at the time. I think at the time, the early 80s, it was Marion. And then in the early 90s it was what's her name oh my god she was a fucking she was a journalist um she was oh my god i'd have to oh i'd have to think about also if you can hear my mom my mom and dad laughing downstairs i am recording this in my room i don't have a soundproof room i don't even have like a proper podcast microphone i'm recording this on my phone so just um, yeah okay anyways (laughs) um it was sheena Sheena McDonald, she was a she was a journalist, and he, he dated her in the uh, early nineties. But he also, obviously, as most people know, he dated Princess Margarita of she was Princess of Romania when he was at university, which is mad. But it is quite funny because the fact that he broke up with her, and he was like, he was like, he was like, oh yeah, I've got to break up because it's all I can't focus on you right now because of politics, like. Gordon, you fumbled the bag there. You could have been Prince of Romania. You idiot. <laughs> she probably broke she probably broke up with him actually because of his horrible university hair. I'm joking, I loved his university hair. Young Gordon Brown was just like he was like, I don't know, like I'm just saying like this this comes off as completely unprofessional, but I'm just saying he was a bit dishy back in the university days. My friend M is going to disagree with me on this. I don't care. M, he looked good for the long hair. <laughs> um, anyway, and then in 1994, I think it was 1994, he met his wife-to-be, Sarah, who, and then they got married in 2000, obviously. But because of this, it wasn't because he wasn't married and he didn't really have a girlfriend that was seen in the public eye at the time, during through the 80s to the 90s, this is why people chose Blair over him because Blair obviously fucking shoved his kids and wife into the camera at every single opportunity. Look at me, a family man living in Islington with my wonderful wife who's very, very educated and my three darling children. Look, I've got two boys and a girl. Aren't they just the sweetest children you've ever seen? Shut the fuck up, Tony. Stop using your kids as a fucking way to get voted in and be seen as a votable, you twat. Oh my god. I'll stop with the Tony slander. I'm joking, I won't. I I will never stop. And I'm not apo- I'm not gonna apologize for it. 
it's funny. <laughs> I'm sorry to any Blairites or any Blair apologists that may be listening to this, but I really don't like him and I really like Gordon. But, okay. I'm going to be moving on from Gordon and Tony because obviously I've done the origin story. And if you don't, if you want more filling in, go and watch the new, first episode of the New Labour documentary. What, who I really want to talk about, whose origin stories were missing from the Blair and Brown documentary, is Peter Mandelson and Alistair Campbell. Right, on to talking about dun-dun-dun, the Prince of Darkness himself, Peter fucking Mandelson. Peter Mandelson was educated at Oxford, and he was a member of the Oxford University Labour Club. Growing up, he had a lot of experience with the Labour Party. I think he lived he lived on the same street as Harold Wilson and went to the he went to a Downing Street party hosted by Harold Wilson when he was a kid. And he also I think I think he was he also briefly dabbled in socialism at a young age as well. Like he looked into it, but then he decided he didn't want to he didn't he didn't want to continue that. Um he in 1979 he was elected to Lambeth Lambeth Borough Council, but then stood down in 1982 because he was disillusioned with Labour politics. I'm guessing the Labour politics he was disillusioned with had to do with the fact that they were all quite leftist. Which obviously to Mandelson he doesn't like leftism, despite being in Labour. Anyways, in 82 he then went on to work as a television producer on Weekend World, where um. He he just sort of dicked around at Weekend World for a couple of years, and I kind of I think I've, I I didn't grow at Weekend World, but my mum did, and my dad did, and it was like, it was sort of like I don't know really, just sort of, like it was sort of like Newsnight kind of, but like it's got a cooler name, and I think we should bring Weekend World back. Should we? I think we should. I mean, it fucking it went in eighty eight, but bring it back. Do do like a. How many years it's been since eighty eight? Do a um, do like a thirty eight. Oh, I guess that. I don't know. Fu- I don't know. I can't do maths. I got a fucking C in my maths GCSE. I'm not that good at it. I only got a C because I was given it because I didn't even do my GCSEs because of COVID. But um, eighty eight. Hold on. Thirty four years. They should bring it back. Do do like a thirty four for thirty four year weekend world like 34 years since weekend world do you like an episode do you like just even if it's just a one-off or just bring it back all together who do i need to speak to the bbc to bring that back anyway back from my weekend world tangent um mandelson became the director of communications for labor in 1985 and he was one of the first people in britain to the term spin doctor was applied to and that's how he became the prince of darkness because he was Hiding in the shadows of the darkness, pulling the strings, making labour seem electable and just doing everything from the from the back. This is why um that sounds so wrong, oh my god, doing everything from the back. I'm not gonna edit that out because I think it's funny. Because yeah. Anyway. Um oh my god, I was gonna say something there. Oh yeah, he was also nicknamed by Blair, he was nicknamed Bobby after Bobby Kennedy and that's just absolute disrespect to Bobby Kennedy disgusting Peter Mandelson you should be ashamed of yourself (laughs) anyway um as director of communications Peter Mandelson ran the 1987 election campaign for Labour where he made the Chariots of Fire parody sort of like the, the Chariots of Fire parody for 
Labour's election. And it was also tagged Kinnock the movie, which is like, what the fuck? I know. <laughs> that was just like, it was kind of a bit sort of, I've watched it, it's a bit cringe. But then again, it was made in 1987, so I'll take that with a pinch of salt. <laughs> um, but it obviously, not, like, Labour lost in 1987. But his campaign, the campaign that Mandelson made, was highly talked about. Like, it was highly praised. People said that it was, like, one of the best campaigns Labour had ever made. Um, it's all right. It's all right. I mean, they were up against Thatcher. They had Kinnock up against Thatcher. Like, cool, she was going to win. I love Kinnock. Well, I don't love him. He's all right. He's, I'd, I'd go for a pint with Kinnock. I don't love him because he got rid of Militant Left from Labour, which is just like, why did you do that, Neil? Um, but, yeah, just, it was all right. Mm. Like, so the 1992 one was just all right anyway as well. I mean, I mean, they were up against... The, I mean, Labour were up against John Major but in 1992, but like still, it's Neil Kinnock. He got fucking bullied by everybody because he fell over on a beach, which is... I'd bully somebody if they fell over on a beach. Anyway, in 1992, speaking of 1992, um, Pete Mandelson was elected as MP for Hartlepool, which is a Labour save... Well, well, it was a Labour save, so it's not really any more, is it? I mean, <laughs> welcome out that by-election was chattering. <laughs> um... Yeah, thanks for the guy that ran for the Hartlepool by-election in 2021, the Labour guy, for tweeting, who is your favourite Tory MILF? Um, my favourite Tory MILF is Edwina Curry. I don't know about your, you guys's, but... Um, reply to me with who your favourite <laughs> Tory MILF is, and I'll rate them all on MP John Major. I will do that. That is the promise from me to you. From, to me, to you. From me to you. I will rank all of the Tory MILFs that you give me. Um, anyways, so in 1992, he he was he became MP for Hartlepool, and he worked very well, very very closely with Gordon and Tony throughout from throughout his throughout his time as director of communications in 1985 up till his MP being elected as MP in 1992. Um, he seemed to work close more closely with Brown at the time, but. Obviously, in 1994, he switched allegiances and worked worked more closely with Tony because he seemed that sort of he seemed to sort of jump ship and realise that Gordon was a sinking ship when it came to terms of being leader of the Labour Party and was like, well, Tony looks like he's going to win, so I'm going to work with him. So I get so I bank off the success, which obviously pissed Gordon off because it pissed anybody off. So yeah, cheers for that, Mandy. <laughs> um, fucking Mandy, man. It's it's, it's just like. Yes. He got angry over the wrong things, Mandelson. I remember when he got angry over nearly being outed on telly, but he got angry over the wrong thing because I don't think anybody was shaming him for being gay. They were just... I, I can't remember how it went down, actually. Uh, Mandelson got outed in 1998 when he was Minister Without Portfolio and he, got, he was in uproar over it. I mean, you would be. You totally would be. But the thing was, though... It's that in 1998, public opinion was a lot different about homosexuality than compared to if you were outed in, like, any time during the fucking 80s before. I mean, like, it's terrible to be outed, especially on live telly by some random MP. <laughs> but still, 
he was in uproar over it, as he would be, but he sort of took it a bit too far and he just sort of he just sort of sent assumed that he just he was just like I think he was I think the I think it was barred to be to be ever mentioned his sexuality was barred of to be ever mentioned from telly ever again. Well, obviously not ever again because it's been mentioned since, but the thing is though, it's that when it happened it got banned from the airwaves, it was never played ever again. It was from Newsnight in nineteen ninety eight and it's just like I don't know, like, I'm I'm gay, and I'd hate to be outed on telly if I wasn't out already, but I just think he took it too far, and obviously, like, he took, he took, his reaction was a bit, his outburst was a bit too far, and he shouted, and he argued with people, and he, but the thing was, though, is that people didn't really fucking care that he was gay, because it was 1998, opinions were different, we were long, we were long from Thatcher's reign of homophobia, so it just seems sort of ridiculous. Not ridiculous, but no, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Just sort of seemed a bit sort of out of pocket, really, that he just, like, got that fucking furious. Because I don't think public opinion really changed him because people thought he was a cunt then and people still thought he was a cunt after that. Him being gay had nothing to do with that. People were just like... I think he phoned up the BBC and he was like, he was like, oh, I'm furious about this. And... um I think the whole thing was that I think he said something about um he's <laughs> he just oh god I think it was something that like he just the <laughs> someone said that the Mandelson band was chilling that is that is hilarious scary scary stuff scary stuff oh yeah he says the truth was out and so were the knives I don't think he really got attacked for being gay Peter Mandelson like I don't, I don't really think he did. He should be attacked for his fucking. Um, he wears terrible tracksuits, Peter Mandelson. There's a picture of him walking a dog, walking one of his fucking dogs, and he's wearing a tracksuit and he looks terrible. Like d- people should be in uproar over that. People should also be in uproar for the fact that he's mates with Jeffrey Epstein and the fact that he's in the fucking black book about nine times of several different phone numbers, and the fact that he went belt shopping with Epstein, and he was at Epstein's birthday party. What about that, Peter? Hmm. I bet if I, like, argued with him about that, he'd be like, oh, you're just using this as an excuse to homophobic attack. Like, no, Peter, I don't care that you're gay. Just don't be friends with a fucking child trap, like a child sex trafficker, maybe. Is it that hard? I don't think it is. And don't ring him when he's in prison, when he was in prison before he died. That just seems really dodgy, Peter. Fuck me, why were you ever invited back to the Labour Party to help Starmer, you dickhead? I told you there'd be Mandelson slander coming to. And here it is. <laughs> um, anyways, um, Peter Mandelson obviously emerged during Weekend World and being the Director of Communications for Labour. I'll now move on to the origin story of Alistair Campbell. So I'm now going to talk about Alistair Campbell and his origins. Um, Alistair Campbell graduated from Cambridge where he studied, I believe he studied French. Uh, I think, I'm pretty sure it was French. He, I think it was, give me a second. Um, yeah, he studied French and German and because of his, because of the fact that he studied French, he went and he taught in Nice in the, in the seventies as a part of his degree. 
and then he did he did some busking as well after leaving university he did busking with his bagpipes um his daughter grace actually posted a picture of him busking in the uh i think it was the early 80s of him busking in france with his bagpipes which is quite a cool picture to be honest but then um he then became a trainee reporter with the mirror um and then because he was a trainee reporter of the mirror he wrote a lot of stuff that could have been seen as being was him writing about his sexual exploits so alistair campbell started out as a sort of he wrote reports about sex none of these can be found anywhere i'm convinced he burnt them all he already broke into the mirror and was just like give me them and then burnt them all was just like there we go no one will ever find these ever again (laughs) but um when he was he then became an editor sports editor at the Tavistock Times where he met his partner Fiona Miller which is quite sweet and then um he also then he went on to he in 1982 he then moved on to the London office of the Daily Mirror and then he became a political correspondent. But then in 1986, he moved to Today, which was a tabloid newspaper, which was trying to turn left, where he worked as a news editor. And this also led to his alcohol abuse, which he suffered with a lot during the late 80s to the early 90s. And he sort of, I think he suffered with it as well during his time in the Labour Party from 1997 onwards I think I don't know it was depression and alcoholism I think I could be wrong about that actually but I, I know that it was definitely depression I don't know if there's if alcohol was involved in that because I think he became teetotal in the 90s but then I don't know if he went back into it I'm not entirely sure and I'm not going to just guess um basically then he he was very very close to Neil Kinnock and he went he went on he went on a tour with him in Scot in Scotland in nineteen eighty six. And in nineteen eighty seven Campbell returned to the Daily Mirror where he became political editor. And then he he was a close advisor to Kinnock during the eighty seven election and he went on holiday with the Kinnocks and he just was very very his, him and his family were really close to the Kinnocks and they still I think they still might be. I'm not entirely sure, but I know they were up in the um because that's how he was recruited to New Labour. He was um, Tony Blair and Alistair Campbell and Neil Kinnock. They were all on holiday. They're all on holiday in France, and that was where Tony was like, "Do you want to be my press secretary?" And Alistair was like, "Yeah, go on then." Well, obviously didn't say that, but like, you know what I mean. <laughs> but, um, then he he also punched a Guardian um, journalist. Because the Guardian journalists joked about the death of Robert Maxwell, who Alistair Campbell was quite close to. And um, Campbell also said this was because of his stress, because he didn't know if he was going to lose his job or not. But also probably because like, you'd punch someone who slagged off you, mate, you just died. Anyway, he left the Mirror in 1993 and then he became the political editor of Today. And he was working there when John Smith died, tragically died in 1994. And... Campbell then went on to interview the three candidates for the Labour Party leader, but it also been known at this time that he'd already formed links with Tony Blair because when asked, I think around the time when it was discussions of who would stand for party leader and if Gordon Brown was going to stand, he was asked that probably Tony Blair would win if like if if they had to choose between like probably Tony Blair would probably win, which like he did, but <laughs> okay, Alistair. 
Um, and then he, and then he became Blair's press secretary in nineteen ninety four, where he came up with the came up with New Labour, which is just like bro. That's like I mean, I, I like I like Alistair Campbell. I don't like Peter Mandelson because like Peter Mandelson is not willing to accept the fact that he did bad things whilst in New Labour. Alistair Campbell owns up to them pretty much, and I've 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 read his diaries and. He genuinely seems that he just did not want to be there. Like, he realised that he didn't really want to work for Labour and that Tony Blair was working into the bone. And he there's one point where he mentions he had a fight with Peter Mandelson, like a fist fight, and then they became friends again. So, obviously, working in New Labour pulled, put, pushed him to a lot of stress. And I'm not going to forgive him for, obviously, the sexed-up dossier, but still, I think I do respect him more as a person than I respect Peter Manderson. I have no respect for Peter Manderson. I haven't got a time in the world for him. But Alistair Campbell, I feel like I could have a chat with him because I understand the whole thing about his depression. I think it's really great that he openly spoke, speaks about that because it's really important for men to talk openly about mental health as, as well as it is important for anyone to talk about mental health. It's a thing that needs to be talked about openly in society and need, people with mental health issues need to be, they need to have more help than we currently are giving with the NHS. I mean, the NHS are obviously under a lot of stress at the minute, but CAMS, CAMS, fuck me, I hate CAMS. I fucking hate CAMS. Um, have a cup of tea and a hot bath and you'll feel better in no time. No, I won't, Linda. No, I won't. <laughs> um, anyway, um, talk, so... That is the origin stories of the architects of New Labour, Tony Blair, Gordon Brown, Peter Mandelson, Alistair Campbell. Now let's talk about the 80s. So let's discuss the 80s. The 80s started out with the election of Margaret Thatcher to Prime Minister, the, the UK's first ever female Prime Minister. Now, well... She was the first female Prime Minister. She certainly did not pave the way for women. She fucking hated women, even though she was a woman. But, um, yeah, Thatcher sort of dominated the 80s and made the made the decade seem totally dismal and horrible because a lot of people were in poverty at the time. There were a lot of strikes going on, such as the miners' strike in 1983 to 84. And also the introduction of Section 28 in 1988 and the fact that she privatised many major industries in 1986, such as British Gas, uh, British Airways, buses, council houses. I mean, she privatised nearly everything she could, um, which is just shocking. And it made the country fall into a bigger state of dis, like a bigger state of disrepair because the country just seemed completely messed up at the time. Like Britain was just dismal. Many people were homeless. Lots of people in. Lots of people moved from towns up north to come down to London and a lot of lot of young men and they just couldn't get a job in London. Many of them became homeless, which led to the rise of serial killers in, in the city, such as Dennis Nielsen, who preyed on these um, on these men who were just they were they had no home to go to and they were killed by many of these serial killers, such as Dennis Nielsen, which is just absolutely disgusting and could also be linked to the fact that Thatcher was just completely unwilling to help these young men and all of the people that were in a state of poverty and unemployment at the time. But the 80s was also a time for, you could argue, was a time for change because 
it, even though Thatcher dominated the um the decade, there were also events that happened that weren't really surrounded by Thatcher, such as Princess Diana being brought into the into the public eye with her marriage in nineteen eighty one to he who shall not be named, and also the fact that um a lot of um two new political parties emerged during the eighties. Um, with the um, so the eighties also brought in the creation of political new political parties. Well, you could say new. Um, in nineteen eighty one, the creation of the SDP, and in nineteen eighty eight, the fact that the SDP then became the Liberal Democrat Party, which I fucking hate. Fuck you, Lib Dems. I hate you so much. You're such a fucking shit party. Hate hate you, dumb stupid party. Anyway, um. <laughs> The 80s also saw the Falklands War in 1982, and also, I, sp- I, br- I mentioned Section 28, but people, I don't, do pe- I don't know if people know this or not, but the fact, that I've seen a recent trend recently, people are girlbossifying Theresa May, and she shouldn't be, because she's an evil human being, but she also was a big supporter of Section 28, even though she said, I completely support the LGBTQ community, she said, on section 28, which prohibits... So, in a newspaper, I don't know which newspaper this is, but it says, on section 28, which prohibits the promotion of homosexual homosexuality by local authorities, May is adamant that most parents want the comfort of knowing that section 28 is there. So if you want to continue girlbossifying Theresa May, just remember she said that. Anyways, the 80s ended with the, the 1990 poll tax, which then led to the resignation of Thatcher... Which was which was sparked by a cabinet coup, and the resignation of Geoffrey Howe, one of her long-standing allies. The resignation of Thatcher brought in a new sort of feeling for the nineties that that if everything was going to be changed, and we'd finally gotten rid of the fucking evil old bitch. But as we'd come to know, that didn't happen because people thought Labour would go were shoe in for the nineteen ninety two election, but that just is not true with hindsight because. John May just somehow managed to win that 1992 election. But I will be discussing the importance of the 90s in my next podcast episode. Um, Thank you so much if you listen to this. It's just basically me humming and humming and harring and mumbling and talking about how much I hate Peter Mandelson and Tony Blair. But if you liked it, I'm thank you, honestly. Thank you for listening to me ramble. Um... The next episode should be done by next weekend, hopefully. It's going to focus on the 90s. And I'm going to mainly look at 1994 and 1997. And I will go through the 1997 campaign, which I love. I love the 1997 campaign. It's so interesting. It's so funny as well. And 1994 being a really pivotal pivotal moment with the death of John Smith and the emergence of Tony Blair as the new leader of Labour. Thank you very much for listening and I'll see you in the next episode.